Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Procedure Pen So, let's continue from where we left off. Back at the plaza, Kelia pulled me aside. What did Prometheus show you? Reluctantly, I told her about the vision of May Castellan's house. Kelia rubbed her thigh like she was remembering the old wound. That was a bad night, she admitted. Annabeth was so little, I don't think she really understood what she saw. She just knew Luke was upset. I looked out the hotel windows of Central Park. Small fires were still burning in the north, but otherwise the city seemed unnaturally peaceful. Do you know what happened to Mae Castellan? I mean, I know what you mean. I never saw her have an... Um, episode but luke told me about the glowing eyes the strange things she would say he made me promise never to tell what caused it i have no idea hermes knew something caused me to see parts of luke's future hermes understood what would happen how luke would turn into chronos thalia frowned you can't be sure of that remember prometheus was manipulating what you saw percy showing you what happened in the worst possible light. Hermes did love Luke. I could just tell by looking at his face. And Hermes was there that night because he was checking upon me, taking care of her. He wasn't all bad. It's still not right, I insisted. Luke was just a kid. Hermes never helped him, never stopped him from running away. Talia shouldered her bow. Again, it struck me how much stronger she looked now that she'd stopped aging. You could almost see a silvery glow around her, the blessing of Artemis. Percy, you can't start feeling sorry for Luke. We all have tough things to deal with. All demigods do. Our parents are hardly ever around. But Luke, he made bad choices. Nobody forced him to do that. In fact... She glanced down the hall to make sure we were alone. I'm worried about Annabeth. If she has to face Luke in battle, I don't know if she can do it. She always had a soft spot for him. The blood rose to my face. She'll do just fine. I don't know. After that night, after we left his mom's house, Luke was never the same. He got reckless and moody like he had something to prove. By the time Grover found us and tried to get us to camp, well, part of the reason we had so much trouble was because Luke wouldn't be too careful. He wanted to pick a fight with every monster we crossed. Annabelle didn't see that as a problem. Luke was her hero. She only understood that his parents had made him sad, and she got very defensive of him. She still is defensive. All I'm saying... Don't you fall in the same trap. Luke has given himself to Kronos. Now we can't afford to be soft on him. I looked out at the fires under her lamp, wondering how many sleeping mortals were in danger right now because of Luke's bad choices. You're right, I said. She patted my shoulder. I'm going to check on the hunters, then get some more sleep before nightfall. You should crash too. The last thing I need is more dreams. I know, believe me. Her dark expression made me wonder what she'd been dreaming about. It was a demigod problem. The more dangerous our situation became, the worse and more frequent our dreams got. But Percy, there is no telling when you'll get another chance for rest. It's going to be a really long night. Maybe our last night. I didn't like it. 
But I knew she was right. I nodded wearily and gave her the Pandora's jar. Do me a favor. Lock this in the hotel vault, will you? I think I'm allergic to pitos. Thalia smiled. You got it. I found the nearest bed and passed out, but of course, sleep could only bring more nightmares. I saw the undersea palace of my father. I zoomed in on the armory when my brother and some extra cyclops were on lunch break, eating from huge jars of skippy extra chunky peanut butter. As I watched, the outer wall of armory exploded. A cyclops warrior stumbled inside, collapsing on the lunch table. Tyson knelt down to help, but it was too late. The cyclops dissolved into sea silt. Enemy giants moved towards the breach. Tyson picked up the fallen warrior's club. For Poseidon, he yelled, but with his mouth was full of peanut butter, it sounded like it sounded muffled. His Breton all grabbed hammers and chisels and charged behind Tyson into battle. The scene shifted. We were in the woods of New Jersey on a crumbling road lined with run-down businesses and tattered billboard signs. I was with Ethan Nagamura. A trampled fence ringed a big yard full of cement statuary. The sign above the warehouse was hard to read because it was in red cursive, but I knew what it said. Auntie M's Garden Gnome Emporium. Guys, do you remember this place? Medusa's place? It was in the first book. I hadn't thought about the place in years. It was clearly abandoned. The statues were broken and spray-painted with graffiti. A cement satyr, Grover's Uncle Ferdinand, had lost his arm. Part of the warehouse roof had caved in. A big yellow sign pasted on the door read, Condemned. Hundreds of tents and fires surrounded the property. Mostly I saw monsters, but there were some uh, human mercenaries in combat figures. Figures and demigods in armor, too. A purple and black banner hung outside the Emporium, guarded by two huge blue Hyperboreans. Ethan was crouched at the nearest campfire. The door of the warehouse opened and Prometheus stepped out. Nakamura, the master would like to speak to you. Something wrong? Prometheus smiled. You'll have to ask him. One of the other demigods snickered. Nice knowing you. Ethan readjusted his sword belt and headed into the warehouse. Except for the hole in the roof, the place was just like as I remember. Statues of petrified people stood frozen in mid-scream. In the snack bar area, the picnic tables had been moved aside. Right between the soda dispenser and pretzel former stood a golden throne. Tronos lounged on it. He wore jeans and a t-shirt, and with his brooding expression, he looked almost human. Like the younger version of Luke had seen in the vision, pleading with Hermes to tell him his fate. Then his golden eyes glowed. Well, Nakamura, what did you think of the diplomatic mission? Ethan hesitated. I'm sure Lord Prometheus is better suited to speak, uh, but I asked you. Ethan's good eye darted back and forth. I don't think Jackson will surrender. Ever. Kronos nodded. Anything else you wanted to tell me? No, sir. You look nervous, Ethan. No, sir. It's just... I heard this was the lair of... Medusa? Yes. Quite true. 
lovely place, eh? Unfortunately, Medusa hasn't reformed since Jackson killed her, so you needn't worry about joining her collection. Besides, there are much more dangerous forces in this room. Kronos looked over at a, at a Lestragonian giant who was munching noisily on some french fries. Why turn them to stone? Kronos asked. And you can freeze time itself. His golden eyes bored into Ethan. Now tell me one more thing. What happened last night on the Williamsburg Bridge? Ethan trembled. I don't know, sir. Yes, you do. When you attacked Jackson, something happened. Something was not quite right. The girl, Annabeth, jumped in your way. She wanted to save him. But he is invulnerable, Kronos said quietly. You saw that yourself? I can't explain it. Maybe she forgot. She forgot, Kronos said. Yes, that must have been it. Oh dear, I forgot my friend is invulnerable and took a knife for him. Oops. Tell me, Ethan, where were you aiming when you stabbed at Jackson? Ethan frowned. He clasped his hand as if he were holding a blade and mimed a thrust. I'm not just so sure, sir. It all happened so fast. I wasn't aiming for any spot in particular. I see, he said in a chilly tone. If your memory improves, I will expect... Suddenly, the titan lord winced. The giant in the corner on froze, and the, French, and the French fry fell into his mouth. Kronos tumbled backward and sank into his throat. My lord? Ethan started forward. I. The voice was weak, but just for a moment it was Luke's. Then Kronos' expression hardened. He raised his hand and flexed his fingers slowly as if forcing them to obey. It is nothing, he said, his voice steely and cold again. A minor discomfort. He's still fighting you, isn't he? Luke. Nonsense! Repeat that lie and I will crush out your tongue. The boy's soul has been crushed. I am simply adjusting to the limits of his form. It requires rest. It is annoying, but no more than a temporary inconvenience. As you say, my lord. You. Queen says, is it? He pointed his scythe at the Dracine. Yes, my lord. Is a little surprise ready to be unleashed? Oh, yes, my lord. Quite a lovely surprise. Excellent. Tell my brother Hyperion to move our main force south into Central Park. The Half-Bloods will be in touch. In such disarray, they won't be able to defend themselves. Go now, Ethan. Work on improving your memory. We will talk again when we have taken Manhattan. Ethan bowed, and my dreams shifted one last time. I saw the big house at camp, but it was a different era. The house was painted red instead of blue. The campers down at the volleyball pit had early 90s hairstyles, which were good for keeping the monsters away. Carl stood at, by the porch, talking to himself and a woman holding a baby. Karen's hair was shorter and darker. Hermes wore his usual jogging suit and winged high tops. The baby in her arms squirmed his blue blanket like Camp Hoflet was the last place he wanted to be. It's an honor to have you here, Karen told the woman, though he sounded nervous. It's been a long time since a mortal was allowed at camp. Don't encourage her, Hermes grumbled. May you can't do this. 
With a shock, I realized I was seeing May Castellan. She looked like nothing, like the old woman I'd met. She seemed full of life, the kind of person who could smile and make everyone around her feel good. Oh, don't worry so much, May said, rocking the baby. You need an oracle, don't you? The old one's been dead for, what, 20 years? Younger, Chiron said gravely. Hermes raised his hands in exasperation. I didn't tell you that story so you could apply. It's dangerous. Chiron, tell her. It is. For many years, I have forbidden anyone from trying. We don't know what exactly happened. Humanity seems to have lost the ability to host the oracle. We've been through that, and I know I can do it. Hermes, this is my chance to do something good. I've been given the gift of sight for a reason. I wanted to yell at her to stop. I knew what was about to happen. I finally understood how her life had been destroyed, but I couldn't move or speak. Hermes looked more hurt than worried. You couldn't marry if you became the oracle. You couldn't see me anymore. I can't have you forever, can I? You'll move on soon. You're immortal. He started to protest, but he put her but she put her hand on his chest. You know it's true. Don't try to spare my feelings. Besides, we have a wonderful child. I can still raise Luke if I am the oracle, right? Karen coughed. Yes, but in all fairness, I don't know how that will affect the spirit of the oracle. A woman who has already borne a child, as far as I know, has never been done before. If the spirit does not take, it will, May insisted. No, it won't, I wanted to shout. May Castellan kissed her baby and handed the bundle to Hermes. She gave them one last confident smile and climbed the steps. The baby squirmed. A green glow lit the windows of the house. The camper stopped playing volleyball. A cold wind rushed through the strawberry fields. Hermes must have felt it too. He cried, no! He shoved the baby into Chiron's arms and ran for the porch. Before he reached the door, the sunny afternoon was shattered by May Castellan's terrifying screams. I sat up so fast I banged my, I banged my head on somebody's shield. We'll do till here today. Let's see what happened next. Only on the Percy Jackson podcast. Next Sunday. So stay tuned.